guys, what is good? This is Morgan Mueller coming at you with the Joy and Hope podcast, where we seek to bring light to the dark. We actually have each of these episodes begin as a YouTube video. So if you would like to watch the original content on YouTube, search my name, Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, on YouTube, look for the Joy and Hope logo. But otherwise, thanks for being here. Enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, Morgan here, bringing you another episode of Joy and Hope. Today, we are going to touch on a very serious topic. So before we get into that, we definitely need to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Totus tuus Maria, ego sum. I am totally yours, Mary. Before I say anything else, I just want to say, if you or anyone you know and love has experienced the horror of abortion, I am so sorry that you experienced that. I'm so sorry that you had to go through with that. And whether you have had an abortion yourself or are very close to someone who has, I want you to know that there is hope and healing available to you. In the description below this episode, I have links to two particular ministries that are so powerful and so wonderful. The first is Rachel's Vineyard and the second is Project Rachel. Both of these organizations aim to help people, both men and women, heal from the horror of abortion. There is also another resource below. Abby Johnson, former pro-choice Planned Parenthood Clinic Director, now pro-life advocate, has a ministry called And Then There Were None. And this specifically helps abortion workers leave their industry. People who have had the scales fall from their eyes and who want out. There is a way out. And Abby has a wonderful ministry that is all about that. So I want you to know that this episode is not aimed to shame. And it is not intended to condemn. It is here to provide hope, healing, and also to change the hearts and minds of people who might still be abortion-minded. All of those things I want to have everyone keep in mind going forward. So, today we are going to talk about why abortion equals murder. Let's get technical. Even though the term abortion is covered up by many fancy sounding, confusing definitions, it comes down to this. Abortion is murder. 
Now you may ask, how do we come to this conclusion? Let's go back to my good old friend, Merriam-Webster. This dictionary defines abortion as the termination of pregnancy after accompanied by resulting in or closely followed by the death of an embryo or fetus. Don't know how that equals murder? Let's go deeper. If abortion is the termination of a pregnancy, what does it mean to terminate? According to Merriam-Webster, to terminate is to end in time or existence. And the example they use is the termination of life. Still confused? Let's skip ahead to the definition of kill. Kill means to deprive of life or cause the death of, or to put an end to. Now, it seems to me that the definition for terminate, end in time, and kill, to put an end to, sound a lot alike. Therefore, we can deduce that abortion is the killing of a human embryo or fetus. With this information in mind, we go to the definition of murder. Murder is the crime of unlawfully killing a person to kill a human being unlawfully and with premeditated malice and three, to put an end to. So there you go. If abortion is a terminating or killing process and murder is a planned action of killing, we can easily include right, easily conclude, excuse me, right there, just from dictionary definitions, that abortion is in fact murder. Sadly, this fact seems to be lost and unknown to many people today. Though all 50 states have laws against murder, every one including jail time, each state also declares abortion to be legal. This is completely ludicrous. Since we know now that abortion and murder are the same thing. The people of today aren't the only ones who are ignorant of this. The people of 1973 were as well. In that year, one single decision of the United States Supreme Court changed this country and the lives of its citizens forever. Roe versus Wade. Many people have heard this term and rightly associate it with the legalization of abortion. However, do we know the significance of the case? In the early 1970s, a Texas woman named Norma McCorvey became pregnant with her third child. 
seeking to abort her baby, her third child, but not being able to do so for the state of Texas declared abortion illegal at the time, McCorvey took the matter to court in Texas. On December 13th, 1971, the case was first argued. McCorvey, under the name Jane Rowe, was represented by Sarah Weddington, and the state of Texas was defended by Henry Wade. McCorvey, or Rowe, claimed that the 14th Amendment granted her the right to privacy, including the decision to have abortion. I just want to stop there, including the decision to have an abortion. Food for thought. Does the 14th Amendment grant me the right to murder someone in private? I just want to pose what a completely preposterous argument that is. Moving on. The case reached the Supreme Court and was re-argued in 1972. In the end, though McCorvey had long given birth to this child that she had been trying to abort, the court reached its decision on January 22nd 1973, declaring that the choice to have an abortion was considered a woman's right to privacy and was protected by the 14th Amendment. However, there were specific details that accompanied this decision. For example, out of a woman's three trimesters of pregnancy, the court ruled that the state could not intervene in the first 13 weeks the first trimester, meaning that's the only time that the woman could have the abortion in any way, shape, or form she wanted without the state being involved. That was the first trimester ruling. The court ruled, however, that in the second trimester, the state still couldn't keep the abortion from happening, but could make the decisions as to where, when, and how the act was carried out. Finally, in the third trimester, in protection of the helpless unborn baby, the state could prevent an abortion unless the act was supposedly to save the mother's life. After this case, abortion became legal in all 50 states, whereas before only 20 states had allowed the procedure. And then only in extreme circumstances. The biggest issues that have arisen from this case are human dignity, conception, and life in general. How could the government of the United States of America, which was established on the basis of God's will and the foundation of religious freedom, make such a procedure legal? In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote these noble words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. Do we understand the gravity of such a statement? In the simplest of words, it boldly declares that God created all people, all equal, and that each and every one deserves life. Not only that, but we also have the power to change or eliminate any laws that act against these rights. In scripture, in the book of, excuse me, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 13, the Lord tells us, you shall not kill. Then he reminds us of this in Thomas Jefferson's writing. Why do we not pick up on this? I believe it is because a lot of people today are led astray by a crooked and perverse generation false ideologies. I think it's because a lot of people have convinced themselves that life doesn't begin at conception, that at any point afterward, the fetus, the embryo becomes a baby. But I want to explain why that's wrong. Life begins at conception. The precise moment the embryo is formed. It's not a cat, it's not a dog, and it's certainly not a blade of grass. Even if you don't want to say it's a baby, that's human tissue, that's a human embryo growing inside of a womb. Right then, every piece of information concerning that special person is set. All of their DNA, all they will become, what color hair they're going to have, whether they are male or female, all of it on a chromosomal level is completely present in that instant. The soul conferred. There are six characteristics of life. I learned this in freshman year biology both at high school and again in college. This has been proven by countless scientists and agreed upon by the same intellectuals. They say that at the moment of conception, babies are one, composed of cells. Two, obtain and use energy. Three, grow and develop. Four, have the ability to reproduce five and six respond and adapt to their environment. These are the six characteristics of life and they are all present in human DNA at the moment of conception. Human life begins at conception. If you are a Christian, or in any way a God-fearing person and believe the simple truth that human beings have souls, even if you take God out of it, our human bodies are animated by a rational soul. 
Do you think that a soul only enters a human being outside of the womb? Or after 13 weeks? Or after the second trimester? You can't separate a body and a soul until death. When as Christians we believe that our souls go to heaven or hell and then at the end of time our bodies will be reunited. You can't have an animated body without a soul. And we can clearly see from incredible ultrasound images that our bodies are animated in the womb. That there is already again that movement, that growth, development constantly. The instant of conception starts that motion. The cells don't stop developing until we die. The soul is present. The human being is in existence. Therefore, we know that human babies are living at the moment they are conceived. You might ask though, what's the difference between them and a blade of grass? They both share these six qualities. How do you determine that the baby, or as Miriam will put it, the embryo or the fetus, how do you know that it's human? Same goes for a dog and a baby at conception. What's the difference? First of all, blades of grass can't move or function on their own, nor do they have brains. That puts humans as well as dogs above blades of grass because we know that plants do not have souls. Dogs do have souls. They're just irrational ones meaning they have brains and they move around on their own legs and hunt and can sense affection, but they don't have the ability or capacity to grasp God. They're not made in God's image and likeness. They're not very good. They're simply good. We humans have an intellect all our own. We have the power of free will, knowledge, feeling, emotion. We have rational souls because we are made in the image and likeness of God. This comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. This is present at the precise moment that the egg and sperm unite to create a new life. This is the perfect and most beautiful illustration of the Trinity on earth. The love of the Father eternally begetting the Son, which brings forth the Holy Spirit. When a man and a woman come together, they are mirroring the Father and the Son, that eternal giving and receiving, and that love that comes forth mirrors the Holy Spirit's outpouring upon the earth. There is nothing more beautiful than this gift of life. This is why to abort, terminate, kill, or murder a human being any moment after conception is a grave mortal sin. 
It is a disgrace to the creator of that precious life. And we, God's people, must come to realize this and fight for this before it is too late. This past week across social media, I asked people to share resources that they love and use in their own fight for life. I was flooded with wonderful responses. And so I want to share these in addition to my own resources with you now for how you can become involved in this movement. The first and most powerful thing you can do is pray. A.M. Roses 14 on Instagram shared that you can spiritually adopt a baby. There are prayers for spiritual adoption that you can pray where you name a child and you pray for this child by name for nine months, the time that they would be within their mother's womb and you spiritually adopt them. This is a beautiful practice. I was first introduced to it when I was in fifth grade. And ever since then, when I pray the rosary every day, after each of the five decades, I pray my own prayer for the protection of unborn children. The prayer I pray is simply, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you very much, and I beg you to protect the lives of all unborn children, especially in the state of blank. And I insert the name of the state that I am in currently at that time. Right now I'm living in Kansas, so I will say all unborn children in the state of Kansas. But if I'm ever traveling, I'll mix it up and I will use the name of the state that I am in that day. Another really powerful prayer for unborn children is called the Life Novena. Last year, rather two years ago, across social media, I hosted this novena with the intention of eliminating abortion in the state of Missouri. And praise be to God, those prayers were answered powerfully during that novena. I found out that the last Planned Parenthood and abortion facility in the state of Missouri, which is currently in St. Louis, they are no longer performing abortions. Unfortunately, they are still referring people for abortions in a clinic in Illinois. However, Missouri has become the first of all 50 states to no longer offer any abortion procedures. Praise be to God for this gift. So if you want to start a life novena with your friends and your family or across social media with the intention of eliminating abortion in your state, see the link below for that prayer. Another way to get involved is to look up local pregnancy centers. You can donate time volunteering at these centers. If you are passionate enough about the movement and they are hiring and you're looking for a job, you can apply and work in this groundbreaking movement. You could also donate money if you're not able to give of your time to support these institutions. They specialize in counseling women and being there for women, especially who are in crisis pregnancy situations. Another way to get involved is to look up local coalition for life groups. I'm currently reading the book Unplanned by Abby Johnson, who was formerly 
a Planned Parenthood clinic director, the Coalition for Life would pray outside of Abby's abortion clinic every day. And this prayerful, peaceful presence inspired Abby and many others in her industry to leave and to find hope and healing. Abby now has a ministry called And Then There Were None. So if you are currently in the abortion industry and want out, this ministry is for you. Abby helps people bridge that gap between leaving the industry, finding a new job, not wanting to spend any more time in the facility, but also what do you do with the fear of not having anything to go to? That is the mission of And Then There Were None. They affectionately call everyone who has left the pro-life industry a quitter, meaning that they have quit that lifestyle, that they were not afraid to take a stand for life and against this institution that was against life. So if you want to become a quitter today, look up that ministry. It is incredible the things that they are accomplishing. Again, see links below for all of these resources. The Coalition for Life has a 40 Days for Life campaign that's dedicated to fasting and praying for an end to abortion. And you can sign up to be a part of one of those 40 days. They have campaigns every fall and every spring. So we're coming up. It's August right now as I'm filming this. So we're coming up on their fall campaign. So definitely look up how to get involved with a coalition for life in your area. Also, you can donate time or money to this institution as well. The fourth thing you could do is sign up for email and text alerts from the Pro-Life Action League. Organizations like these are awesome at providing quick, easy ways that you can fight for life without ever having to leave your home or your phone. I have had people before say things to me like, I don't like doing that. I find it annoying when I get all of these alerts. And I want you to, I want to invite you to consider, are you annoyed at them or is their persistence annoying you because it's convicting you that you are not responding to the call to do more? These are such easy ways to get involved. These alerts, they will have typed up emails or scripts and they will inspire you to call your senators and your representatives. They will give you the numbers. They give you all the information to set you up for success. And I have had many government officials testify to they have no one reach out to them about their beliefs. So they have no idea what the people they're representing representing actually think or care about when it comes to abortion. So please take the time to sign up for those alerts. And when you get them, just take It's only 30 seconds. I promise you, it takes me less than 30 seconds to click on the link and to put in my information, to skim the message, to make sure it's everything that I believe and send it off. And I am saving lives. And I invite you to do the same. The fifth way is to join a pro-life group at your church or school. And if you don't have one, you can again go back to that pro-life action league or look up 
this organization, Students for Life. They speak to middle school, high school, college students, even med law school students about how to start a Students for Life group in their school. They are also a really good resource for communicating texts and email alerts. Another way to get involved is every October during Respect Life Month, you can do something special. It might be as simple as chalking positive pro-life messages all over your school or your parish. When I was teaching at a Catholic school after college, I bought a bunch of chalk that month and I took my sixth, seventh and eighth graders around the campus, around the church parking lot, and we spent the whole day chalking positive pro-life messages everywhere. And it was incredible the impact that we had, the amount of people that would stop and take pictures and share on social media. Or when we were outside at recess doing this, the people that would see the other students, even the little kids, and they wanted the chalk and they wanted to help learn the messages. It was absolutely precious and something I highly recommend trying. Another way to get involved is the March for Life. Every year in January, on or near the anniversary of Roe versus Wade in Washington, D.C., there is an annual March for Life. And I have taken many pilgrimages to this trip or excuse me, to this before. I've gone on trips with my high school. I went on trips with my college. And even a couple years ago, my brother and a couple of our friends and I went just road tripping on our, on our own to Washington, D.C. for the march. We found an Airbnb, and it's a cause that we are all so passionate about that the four or five of us just drove up and did it. And it was, it, it was definitely a trip to remember and something that I don't regret doing for a second. So there's that March for Life, but there are also state or county marches for life. So look up when your local ones are, because again, it starts at the ground level. And if your senators and your representatives know how you feel, that is where the biggest impact might be made. Another way is to invite a right to life representative to speak at your church or school. I also did this a couple of years ago. The Right to Life is a wonderful organization. The 11th thing, if you're keeping track at all, <laughs> vote for pro-life officials and for pro-life bills. Lucretia Nold reached out on Instagram to say that there is a value them both amendment, which you can learn more about at the links below. Anna Baklanov, I'm so sorry if I got your name wrong, girl, on Instagram, shouted out that liveaction.org is another incredible resource. This organization was started by Lila Rose when she was only 15 years old, and it just started in her parents' basement. But this has grown to become one of the leading pro-life organizations dedicated to ending abortion and inspiring a culture that excuse me that respects and defends life. So check it out. And finally, a very simple but beautiful suggestion that came through on Instagram from trees51 is to treat everyone with respect. This is our call as Christians to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
I hope and I pray that this will inspire all of us to also love those within our wombs as ourselves. Oftentimes, the pro-choice argument is a woman's body. It's the woman's right to choose. I think we've made it pretty clear here. We're not just talking about one body. We're talking about two. At least. If you have twins, three bodies. And so on and so forth. Every single human being created in the image and likeness of God has the right to life. We cannot take it upon ourselves to play God and to choose who will live and who will die or based on what quality of life they will have should they be aborted. Lord God, give us the courage that we need to fight for our unborn brothers and sisters. Please convict our hearts of how you want us to join in this fight and all for your greater glory, O God. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. If you have been blessed by this episode, please give it a thumbs up and share it across social media. Also, if there are resources that you are aware of that I did not list, please drop them in the comments below. Thank you all so much for joining me today. God bless and hope to see you back here again very soon. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Joy and Hope podcast, where we seek to bring light to the dark. If you enjoy our mission, we would love for you to become a patron on Patreon. Our patrons are what make it possible for us to continue doing Joy and Hope full time, bringing you the inspiring creative content that uplifts you to live more joyful, hopeful lives. So please consider supporting us. Thanks so much for being here today. God bless and see you next time.